Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to J3 University Podcast. I am John Jewett, and with me is my co-host, Luke Miller. And today, we'll be diving into back training, all things back training, setting up setting up your training, exercise selection, order. Um, if you have an exercise, is it even right for you? Or what should we be changing around those, those concepts? And we have some questions from some listeners that we can dive into as well. So, but anyway, Luke, what is new with you? You're, we were just chatting on like your new mattress and our, our awesome sleep or, or lack thereof. Yeah, so. and sleep routine too, like my, with the new Tempur-Pedic bed and like just changing the sleep routine up a little bit. I, I've never been so productive in my life. It's, it's so nice. Like switching to that, like walk later in the day with like the horizontal view and like seeing like the sunset and everything before bed and then doing the night routine from there. It's like been huge for our sleep quality, both mine and Emily's for sure. Did you get a, uh, like a special pillow? With oh, your... yeah. The cooling pillow. So it's like the Tempur-Pedic cooling pillow. Okay. So it's like, and I got the one that's like thicker so that like my head doesn't tilt all the way down if I sleep on my side. And so it like keeps my head closer to neutral. So much better, dude. Yeah, I got one for my chiro- chiropractor. It was called Envy, E-N-V-Y. And it has like the bucket in the middle like if you sleep on your back it's like well obviously your head goes there but then it raises up on the side so if you're a side sleeper you have like bracing there it's still a little low for me for like like, i need to kind of like push my arm out so i'm kind of more on my back um, versus like directly on my side although my and my head does kind of tilt but it's it's definitely comfortable i asked i was like what do you how do you sleep on it when you sleep on your face he's like no john you don't, you, this, that is, that is, we don't sleep on our faces. Like, don't do that. It's just not an option. Like, well, fuck, that's how I get really comfortable. <laughs> so, so, I don't know. I rig mine up to still sleep on my face. I feel bad about that. I'll start on like my side, slightly on my back. And by the end of the night, I'm like face down every time. Yeah, it gets rough because like I have my CPAP on and, I'll have to like have my pillow like right on the side of my CPAP and uh, till my head's like pretty cocked. And if I sleep on one side, man, it jacks my neck up doing it like that. It's not, it's not good, but man, I just get, I'm so comfortable in that position. Just been doing that since like childhood sleeping like that. So it's where I get, get comfortable. Um, It's been hard to switch. I can't sleep on my back, but I can do side. I'll wake up a lot. I'll be on my side and that's all right. But, and the sleeping on my on my on my stomach and face that's the way that's the way I really really get comfortable yeah, I used to love sleeping on my back and then like you get to a certain side and it's like not possible anymore because I can't fucking breathe let alone with like my sinus issues too oh yeah I, I could I could see that like because Renee even like when we go get massages like when you flip over the table your sinuses start like just you can barely breathe but you like the massage is enjoyable same, same deal but at least like i don't have my i don't have my cpap hooked up while i'm on the massage table maybe that's been my 
my problem. Welcome to the massage studio with your seat back. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you want to dive into black stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's go. So we can start off with our first question from Marius Sinowski. Hope I said that right. Um, belt training aspects and are deadlifts bad for the waist? So I know we're going to have a lot of hip hinge, rack pull, deadlift, RDL. This is like the never ending debate on these things, but, but regarding around just belt training aspects. So I imagine with, with what we're asking here is, is related to the waist. Like, yeah. And not, not necessarily like picking out a belt, but hell I'll go into picking out a belt if you, if you want to, but. Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to belt conversation is like utilizing it as a tool and not bastardizing the use of a belt um, in order to create more pressure to protect the spine. Right. Like that's the whole reason we have a core is so that we can create that like force conduit of pressure from everything from the pelvic floor to the shoulder girdle so that we can exert force without, you know, spinal issues. Right. And the belt is just going to allow you to create pressure there, but we can mess that up actually with like the size of the belt too. Right. Because we can look at like uh, force mechanics of like uh, tension, link tension relationships. Right. So like we can create the most force in the midline of the muscle. So like pulling a belt too tight can actually like, limit your capacity to brace or wearing it too loose can can actually um limit your capacity to brace as well well because you're changing that link tension relationship of like the core musculature so makes sense it's like because you feel like <laughs> i used to do that suck in as much as you can and you like cinch the shit out of your belt right and it's like you're almost doing like an abdominal vacuum and you, you can't brace well when you're vacuuming um you can get your waist small but that's not the purpose of what we're trying to do with belt we're not trying to do like uh, you know, waist train and shrink your waist to yeah. put, to put your belt on. So, um, you know, there, there is definitely the, the right fit. Usually I, I'll have a contracted ab when I, I put mine on and I have it, 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 it should be, it should be tight to where when you can push your abdomen out and that's when you get like good tension in it, but also not so loose to where you can like go fully distended belly and then you don't have tension or you just get it. Um, I think that's when you're like reaching the point of, I guess someone, someone might argue that like, cause this does would increase intra-abdominal pressure and pressure, but would it increase intra-abdominal like tension within the muscle to like expand the abdomen? No. And I, I would say, I'd definitely say a no to that. Um, I don't think it's going to be preventing if you didn't wear a belt because you shouldn't, you should be bracing the core um, from an aspect of like contracting the abdominals, not just trying to fully blow them out. So you're trying to like bring some air in and have some type of pressure pushing out into the, into the abdominal wall. Um, I always thought of this old buddy I used to power lift with. He like putting the belt on is like making your fishing pole thicker. Yeah, I was like, what? He's like, well, you know, when you have a big fish on and the, your pole bends a bunch, I was like, well, yeah. Uh, he's like, well, with a bigger thick pole, it won't bend as much, right? I was like, yeah, well, when you put your belt around you, it's like making your fishing pole thicker and you won't bend as much. I'm like, okay, that's really like bro simplistic, like thought process. <laughs> yeah. 
but I guess it's kind of true. He's like, to lift the big weight, you need a big fishing pole. Like, uh, right on, dude. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think another aspect of that too is locking lats in too for thoracolumbar fascia to help create pressure from the posterior chain side, right? So like that external rotation depression of the shoulder on any hip hinge before you with the brace so that you can like create pressure throughout the entire um that entire midline of the body is is another aspect too um but when i touched on like not bastardizing the belt it's like don't go in and wear a belt on like arm day yeah the whole your whole time so and that, that's we, we get a lot too it's like um should i train train with the belt on to keep my waist small it's like well the, you know you're, you're taken away from the the aspect of your other lifts potentially wearing this belt all the time if you're not able to get in proper positioning and and, and even then too like you're not going to shrink your waist wearing a belt like it, it's not going to happen for it to for that to happen you'd have to have it so tight like a corset and wear it non-stop all day and and that's getting into a whole another another aspect of issues but within training, like you're not going to shrink your waist, um, just wearing a belt during training. Um, wear the belt when you actually need to be wearing it. So regarding like a deadlift, do you need it on your warm-up sets? Well, no, you don't need a ton of bracing just yet. You can uh, train your your core just to brace adequately for a warm-up set. Then maybe you just use it for your your top sets. And do you even need to use a belt? I you could argue like no, you don't need to absolutely need always use use a belt and if you didn't use a belt it's not going to necessarily shrink your waist now do you is there will the obliques because we're talking about widen the waist usually we're looking from from the front of someone the obliques contracting and yeah. cause you know obliques are basically making an isometric contraction uh, while you're doing these squats and deadlift variations and is that enough to promote hypertrophy and growth and so that's kind of like where that conversation needs to, needs to go to. Like, well, is an, is an isometric contraction going to be the best hypertrophy promoter? And it, it's not. This is the same argument as like if you took a dumbbell and just flexed your bicep holding it in place. Is that going to be the best way to grow your bicep? Well, you say, well, hell no, that's not. Or just walking, put it, walking up to the wall and pushing against it, not moving. Um, is that going to be a good aspect for hypertrophy it's like no no you need to go through like the active contractile ranges and same with the obliques so we see like the highest um oblique like emg activity doing like actual core movements you know where you're doing like a wood chopper or um, some type of direct oblique work that's going to give you a, a waist hypertrophy um and, and loading throughout those patterns way more than like a squat or deadlift wood now there will be activation and I guess where we see people like anecdotally take this from is like, well, look at uh, whatever, whoever you want, you want to say, like these strong men or powerlifters, they have big waists. I was like, yeah, but they're also like fucking 300, 350 pounds pushing food. Like they want, they want big waist and like they're, they don't have a body, they don't have body fat, like a bodybuilder. Um, also look how much fucking muscle they have. It's like, if, if you're going to go up like 40 pounds of stage weight, you're going to increase the size of your waist. It, it it's just, it's going to happen. Um, but it won't more than 40 pounds above what would be considered stage weight. Like, oh yeah. Those guys are, uh, the, I mean, you're, you're, if you're looking at the upper echelon, I mean, these guys are probably have put on a hundred pounds of tissue on their, 
one of their frames. <clears throat> but even like, even when like when I, I made a big jump in one year, I went from a like middleweight to a heavyweight and my waist did increase in size, but the overall look and taper had improved. Um, so there's, there's like some area to sacrifice there. And it's like, well, can you keep your waist the same? I was like, God, that arguably I'd say that's really, really hard to do. And, uh, and you can see this even in, um, in natural aspects. There was a study looking at weight gain and I forget what type of, maybe they were rugby players or football players. And they were measuring like the, looking at cross-sectional areas of the abdomen and, and organ sizes. And even with the weight gain of these natural athletes, like organ size increased, you know, just, just your gut size increased. You're a bigger person. You're going to need larger GI tract, larger liver, larger heart, larger everything. And it wasn't like a negative. Um, it's just um, a, a natural increase. So if you're going up to a large body weight, your organ size is going to increase. The supporting structures are going to increase. But we're, we're not going to be, you know, taken away from like having these full-blown guts that you're comparing to people that aren't applicable to what we're trying to do here. So if you looked at like, I think some like high level bodybuilders, where you see like the waist distension is really high at, at, at some level of musculature, like it looks like waist you get blown out, but I would still wouldn't attribute that to deadlift because some of those guys don't even deadlift. Um, it's, it's probably a combination of pushing food excessively high, um, a combination of insulin growth hormone and anabolics causing a lot of visceral fat storage. So that's something that we're getting away from back training, but there, there's just a lot of, a lot of aspects to consider, but I think the, uh, the debt wearing a belt for a deadlift is not going to save you from your waist growing and the deadlift itself is not going to make your, your, your waist, uh, just all of a sudden blow out. Yep. I think that brings us into that next question, John, as far as, um, deadlifts and rack pulls, pros and cons for back gains. What's your opinion from at Morpsy? Um, you want to start on this? You want to touch on this first? And yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So we, with, with any of these movement selections, you have to ask like, what? I always say like, why am I doing this movement, and what does it bring to the table? And so, when looking at a hip hinge, why do we? Why would we pick a compound movement? And oh, it's to get good stimulus across a variety of mus musculature. Um, otherwise, our sessions might be, you know, two hours long. It's like, okay, well, I need a hamstring, a glute movement, um, something for spinal erector, something for trap. It's like, well, that's four exercises. How about I just do this deadlift? And so I think, it, you know, it covers a lot of ground. But we have to ask us, like, what is going to be a good movement for hypertrophy of the muscle group that we, we want? And for that individual, does it target the muscle group that we want? So... With a, with a deadlift, um, you will have a little bit more quad brought in. And then with a rack pull, we're basically just talking about a partial deadlift. So you're kind of taking some of the quad out, going to be very similar to the deadlift aspect. So what, is, what do these movements bring to, to the table? And we're looking at, well, it's going to have some, some glute contraction, some, a little bit of hamstring involvement, still some quad, some spinal erector as well. And then basically traps are performing an isometric to hold on to the bar. But this truly is, it is more of a movement of uh, mechanics and getting a mechanical um, advantage position to lift a weight. You're getting the bar as close as you can to yourself to be efficient at lifting it. Now, would you say that 
is the purpose of, of bodybuilding is trying to lift as efficiently as possible, the most weight. And, and it's not, that's really a, an aspect for powerlifting. So if, if we are trying to say, I want back gains for deadlift, I don't think this would be the best application for specific to back. Um, I think it would be an overall good lift to develop for like a beginner potentially. Uh, I would even say a rack pull. I think for most people, rack pull wouldn't, wouldn't be that great. But the, but the back is what we need to get into. So let, let's hear, uh, we always hear this like lats for like deadlift and rack pulls. So let's start with just the back and why this would not be the case. <laughs> you talked about lat bracing the lats, so that might throw people off earlier. Yeah, so, I mean, and this comes back to the isometric contraction conversation, right? Like is an isometric contraction going to be enough to exhibit a hypertrophy-based stimulus? And we already kind of set that framework of setting that to be, to be no, right? And if we we're looking at um, lat involvement moving through its like active range, we're looking at the shoulder girdle primarily in the humerus and seeing how much depression slash extension we're going to be getting depending on the, the relative pattern that we're getting, right? And any hip hinge pattern is not going to be moving through any significant degrees of shoulder depression slash extension um, actively where lat's going to be involved like throughout an active contraction. So yes, it like helps with the bracing parameters and it's involved with health helping create that brace but there's no hip hinge that that is going to be a lat primary movement i don't care if it's hands by your side deadlift or if it's a regular deadlift or an rdl or even a rack pull which i don't even think a rack pull has much utility in bodybuilding anyways i i think this comes down to actually breaking down what the role of like the each portion of the back would be and if you do that and then just analyze any hip hinge variation from a side view, you're going to see very quickly that a lat's not going to be very involved or a primary or, or something that should be used to primarily develop the lats. Now, maybe we can consider like erectors because they're going to be an autonomic control. And the moment that that bar creates a moment arm relative to the hips, the erectors are going to be turned on right? Just from a protective mechanism of, of not blowing our lumbar out. But lats, I don't think there's any case to make an argument for like lat development within a hip hinge. I think people like, because when I get into that position, you brace, you're kind of in the same position of like a bent over row. And well, that's the beginning position of training a lat. Like there, there is some tension there. Um, but that's not going to be the limiting factor when you you're executing these deadlifts and you're like, Oh man, I can't keep lifting because my lats have failed. It's like, no, that's not usually the case. Usually it's like the lumbar, the erectors are failing or the glutes or something like that. So that's where you get into like, well, what is this targeting? Well, what, what is failing first? And when you're lifting, it's like, it's probably the erectors or glutes or something back there, not going to be the lats. And then you get off and your lats are like super pumped and they're like, you know, full of blood. It's like, no, that doesn't happen either. It's like, all right, well, this probably isn't our, our best indicator. Like lats are working, but not to say you won't feel them doing that. Or I've heard like someone brings them in, you know, brings deadlifts or rack pulls in like, oh man, my, my lats got sore. It's like, well, maybe it was just this novel exposure to having to hold on to embrace a weight that you've never even touched before. And so you got something there but that's not to say that it's still going to be the best movement for lat development. 
Um, it's, it's just a, a novelty that you, you introduced. That's the sensation versus action argument too, right? Like creating some sort of sensation doesn't mean that we're actually moving that. Yeah. Uh, also be through action. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, the, the other thing would be uh, traps, you know, our, our deadlifts or rack pulls, you know, good, good for traps. And uh, I have to say my traps have gotten fucking more sore than anything doing rack pulls and deadlifts sometimes. Um, but again, you go back, it's still like this isometric contraction. Um, you're not necessarily moving the scapulas through their active ranges to where you would be contracting the traps. So, uh, yeah. and, and you're using a ton of musculature to train one muscle group. So it's probably also, you, it's not the most efficient way to, to do that as well. So I think that still goes into, hey, maybe if you needed, what are the deadlifts bring? Well, we, are, we brought this up. It's probably like going to be more glute and some erector, but still not the best for it. But maybe if, if for like a secondary, like, hey, I need my traps suck too. Well, rather than like, all right, well, let's do a glute bridge for your glutes. How about we do this deadlift and you can secondarily also have a little bit of trap stimulus like that that goes but to say like i'm gonna deadlift for traps it, it's not the the best way to program um still for for traps you're looking at moving through contractile ranges so shrugs rows things where the scapulas are actually having to move now i think it, it would have training like for the thoracic the deep thoracic extensors so let's say like oh well these are your these are your thickness movements, right? This is going to make you thick. It's like, well, let's like tear that down. And, and what are you really talking about here? Like what, what is getting thick? Like yeah. we know it's not lats cause that's just more isometric traps has made, you know, okay. Some, um, I, I think you can make it a, an argument that it, you're going to hit your thoracic spinal extensors, those deep ones a lot, which you don't see those they're below your traps and everything. However, if they do hypertrophy, it, it will have an appearance of, of giving some more roundness within the back and your spinal rectors are still going to get hit. Of course, um, there are going to be some movement and you're not going to be perfectly hold able to hold your, your spine um, in, in lumbar extension or neutral. There's going to be some movement. So you're going to have some erector growth as well, potentially. So you, you would have some, some thickness development throughout the whole spinal extensors from cervical down to the sacrum. I would say that you could make an argument for that, but, but still like a deadlift again, it's like a mechanical advanced position. We can make something more challenging out of a hip hinge to, to make that happen. Yeah, um, sure. So I'd say still for traps, it, it's not going to be your best, your best bet to go with. Yeah. And especially like the more advanced you get, just the fatigue associated with the stimulus of using a mechanically advanced position is probably not overly worth it. Like, um, because like you're, it's, it, it is so global in stimulus. It's like not yeah. as direct at, to anything really like, like that conventional pull, like it's some quad, some glute, you know, depending on relative knee bend, will tell you how much hamstrings involved. And then, so it's, it's never really like a full on direct stimulus for anything, which, you know, you, you can make compounds like rather direct stimulus across most muscular groups and, this is where you start pulling in like RDLs and things like that to probably be a little bit more accurate with your programming when it comes to 
programming a hip hinge, but still get the benefit of like the necessity of erectors and everything along those lines on that secondary piece. Yeah, I, I, pers I, would, I would just scrap rack pulls like from bodybuilding. I think you can make an argument for deadlift out of someone that's like a beginner that needs that global stimulus. Um, I think a deadlift is probably, it's still a pretty technical lift, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's as technical as trying to teach someone in, in RDL. Um, it's, it's definitely more complicated lift, but so if we were to program something as a hip hinge for, for back, what, what would be the go-tos within this and, and kind of, and the, and the why? <laughs> I think my point being here is that there's not a hip hinge you would program for back. Okay. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Like there's, there's no portion of your back and then it might help if we like just run through basic, like attachments of back musculature midline out. Right. But, um, well, so like, cause someone, uh, well here, this, I think this goes into this next question really well before we like yeah. completely jump through is, um, out, um, at, out Sandy Chris and also shade water fit, um, asked about like the Christmas tree area, which you're kind of getting into lats, but uh, the movements to develop the lower back, because that this is what I'm going to hear about hip hinges. And that goes right along with our, our deadlift. So yeah, would, would there's be a hip hinge for lower back development? I think, I think no matter, I think you have to define like erector control first, right? So that Christmas tree you see is just thoracolumbar fascia. You're just getting lean enough to see a thoracolumbar fascia through skin, right? Erector control is on autonomic nervous system control, meaning that you can't sit here and actively think about contracting your erectors, right? The only way you're going to be able to contract your erector, like I can sit here and squeeze my pec, right? Consciously, but like on an erector, you have to force the mechanical position in order for them to, to, be, to be active, right? So you have to move into extension to, to, yeah, to get arm relative to the load so anything that creates that is going to help develop lower back thickness so hip hinge would be one you could argue most squat patterns are going to be one minus maybe a hack squat that doesn't allow for that extension away from the squat pattern um, basically any pattern that moves hips away from midline and forces uh, a brace is going to require erector control to some extent now is a squat going to be as much as a hip hinge? No, I mean, the moment arm is a lot shorter, but I think when you're looking at like erector thickness, just you're not gonna be able to consciously like think about squeezing and it's just like creating that capacity to control load throughout every portion of the end range and the positions in which they're active, which is gonna be hip hinge is the primary thought process because it's the for this moment arm and then you can kind of move through other iterations right? like a smith machine squat is going to allow for hips to move away from the bar depending on how it's performed um, or like safety bar squat or anything like that right so um i think people overcomplicate erector training it's not that deep would, would you say like a uh a back raise like a back extension machine yeah like a back like 40 yeah like a 40 45 degree back extension would have because I see people do these on, on back day too, have that, I, have application. I think I think you're moving into like just uh, an inverted hip hinge, right? Like it's yeah. primarily glutes, hamstrings, and minimal back, but it will load it, right? Like just the force mechanics of it will load the erectors. So you could argue it. Like I I remember I love these videos. 
uh, the Pete Rubish barbell back extensions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like those, they're pretty brutal. Um, but again, it's probably, if you do it right, primary glute ham, like think like straight leg deadlift RDL type, type of a sensation, um, or action. So it just, yeah, yeah. Still in those, like if I'm doing a 45 degree back raise, like it's usually a ton of glute, you know? And then if I'm, if I'm to load heavy enough to where to challenge my erectors, I don't feel safe. No, I don't either. In that position anyway. So um, I think the, the point here is if you're trying to, to program erector training, the movements that do it really well um, for, for, to give you the least mechanical advantage is probably going to be some form of stiff leg deadlift or yep. an RDL. And so where would you program these? Well, then a stiff leg deadlift and an RDL are going to hit the glutes and hamstrings a ton. So this is probably has the most application into programming on your leg day. Not to say you can't do it on a pull day. You can. Um, just know there's going to be that crossover. So if you're going to have it programmed on your, your pull day, um, you would also need to be aware, like, are you training legs the next day? Are you squatting? Because you're going to also have some fatigue going into your squat pattern. Um, so it just depends on how you want to set it up. But don't use your, your hip hinge as your – your lat development or your trap development movement. Because if anything, if you need that back volume on back day, that movement's gonna be so fatiguing, it's gonna take away from the work that you could be doing to actually build your lats and traps. Um, it, it might have, and you could argue this, I see some people put a hip hinge like an RDL at the beginning of a session, which I understand that because it's a technical lift and it requires a lot of skill set. but at the same time, you're gonna generate a lot of fatigue then going into if your back really does suck and you need lats, you need traps, all the movements before that fatigue accumulation is going to make all the sets you do afterwards, your rows, your pull downs, will make it less effective in, in, in uh, contracting those muscle groups. So you need to think about like whatever you want to train and get good at and build is what you should train first for the day. So if it's lats, well, it's going to be movements that train the lats, like pull downs, et cetera. Not, not, your, not your hip hinge just because that's a hard lift. I want to do it, get it out of the way. Um, then the other argument is putting at the end of the workout, which I, I could see that if it's not like this primary area and you want a little bit more hand glute work. The caveat to that is that it's a technical lift and that you, you might not have as much like fine motor control and, and could run into like, you know, some issues of, of, of injury possibly. So maybe that might be an argument of like moving to like some type of like good morning or where you're, or like a hack, like I like hack good mornings, like you'll have some erector loading and some glued ham. Again, I don't think that's the most efficient way to program, but that's, I think would be a better option than if you have issues with doing an RDL at the end of a back day. But again, our, our whole point here is that these hip hinges have a high focus on, um, on hamstring glute work. So yeah. program them where you need your hamstring glute work. And secondarily, they will also be training the back. Yeah, I think this is a, a last touch point here. Um, spreading your back session as far away from your hip hinge day as possible will help with the quality of your back work as well, right? So like moving from like having like three days removed from hamstrings to your pool day so that that, that residual like, capacity to hold that isometric contraction if there is any 
soreness sensation doesn't take away from your output on that that following back day too it's just like a final piece on that so okay so here's would be one so if it would be worse for your hip hinge day to be right before your back day or your hip hinge to be right after your back day the first answer to that is what does the client need more but we uh, want back luke back so if, if it's more back i would prioritize pull before so back training before the hip hinge just because like i mean if if one's going to take away from the other you can't you can't have at some point during a program, a movement's going to take away from a movement later in the week. And if back's the priority, you always just like resort to priority principle and just give it the priority, right? So yeah. simple as that. What do you uh, take? Take that away. Listen to anything. Take that away. Uh, you know, from from this podcast, like put your priority first. Just keep doing that, and that's that. Like the complication of like program design, exercise selection. It's like answer that question and, and man, you'll be on a great path already out the gates. Like, what do you need to do that first? It's, it's simple as that. So if something's taken away from that priority, well, you need to move it. Um, so you can prioritize. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably the first question we ask when we write a program too. Like, what yeah. You know? So let's get into something else of what you might need of actual back. Since we talked about everything that doesn't train <laughs> back necessarily, um at jamie elevated please talk about pull-ups and efficacy where they're useful or if so this is now we're now getting into like actual lat training lat training movements so um do you typically program a pull-up chin-up variation i am not opposed to it I think the first question I have to ask is how good is this person at training their back? And the reason I ask that question is because there is a component of needing to internally stabilize the rest of your body with any type of like pull up variation, whether that's close grip, wide grip, whatever. Um, and if this person can't even, if they can't even train their back in like a stable environment, so like a chest supported row or like a pull down machine or something like that. Asking them to then go do that within a pull up is probably not your best bet for training your back just because like torso position is going to be moving and swaying and we're not going to be able to lock it in and things like that. Um, for people that are, are rather sufficient at back training, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, especially like if it's like a, a like a supported chin where your knees are touching that pad at the bottom to kind of help with the swelling part. Yeah. The, like the assisted pull-up machine, right? Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to stay away from the pull-ups just from a getting the most out of the movement pattern due to like that sway and inability to hold body position very well for a lot of people. Cause for most people, that's like the main issue rather than actually being able to do the damn pull-up. I don't, I can't get many pull-ups anyway. Like that's a whole nother issue too. It's like, I can't even stay in the rep ranges that I want yeah. or like, how the fuck do I even warm up for this damn thing? Like I'd have to do another movement warm before up. I can go do my pull-up because it's an immediate work set. And then um, it's a fucking disaster to track. <laughs> it's like, we're always moving in one direction. Yeah. Off season moving up or like, 
dieting for a show and you're like, you hit a new like low and then you hit a pull up PR. It's like, <laughs> I hit a pull -up it's like am I weaker or stronger? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just, I, I think you can get the back stimulus you need without them. Yeah. I think it's one of those movements that has been like, yeah, pull ups, man. That's how you get your back. Kind of like, yeah, you, you got a barbell squat. It's, it's like held this kind of stigma, but I agree. Like movements that have for bodybuilding purposes, um, that typically are more braced, more stable. You're able to direct that tension where you want it. You have less contributing musculature, but when you're up in the pull up position, yeah, you're swinging all over the place. Unless it's assisted, you have got a little bit more bracing. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it's harder to control like where your elbows are, are moving through. Are they flaring out? Are they tucking in? And then if you really, really want to focus on like tucking in and hitting more like low lat, lat fiber, you kind of need some slight lean back the whole time and to be able to tuck the elbows. And that's a pretty challenging position. I think as a beginner, that would be hard and it's technical. But then as you move up to being someone advanced, it could be hard as well just because of your, maybe your body weight is now climbed. Um, so, uh, and then even this, even the start position, um, you're basically dangling straight down, which you're, you really don't have great tension onto the lats when you in that position. Like I mentioned, like you need to be kind of leaning back a little bit. Um, just like when you grab a pull-up bar, grab a pull-up bar and, and just before you, before you lean back, you won't really feel your lats. Then you lean back like 15, 20 degrees and you feel like, oh, there's some lat tension. Like that's where the lats really start engaging. So in a pull-up, it's hard to keep that for one, the mind muscle connection, but also just to load the lats. Um, and then most people aren't able to get the full range because it's just fucking hard. The hardest part of the lift is getting over the, your chin, like over the bar um, when the muscles short. So yeah. just, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get on board with, with pull-ups unless for some reason you need to go to a pull-up competition and that's your thing. But for bodybuilding, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the, the, the best way to do it. I think you'd still be doing pull down variations. Now, the only thing I will use a pull up bar for is for loaded stretches at the end. I, I do see the utility in that, but I mean, there's a lot of ways to do loaded stretches and let's not go down that route, but just to save face and give the pull up something and it's benefit, right? Like um, doing a loaded stretch on like a close grip pull up bar can be pretty beneficial towards the end but i think so if lats is the the thing here about training lats um again it's if, you're, if you if your lats suck and a lot of us like we look at lat insertions and origins and if you don't if you have like high lats and your lats don't come down uh i mean a lot of that we can't change a lot a lot of it's just your muscle shape and but you also have to do make sure like you are actually training the lats effectively yeah, for sure. And then, so you prioritize it first. And so that should be your first movement that you do should be some type of, that's what I would program first. Uh, some type of a pull down variation Ar arguably someone might do a row. Um, you, you, you would train, cause I guess you can make an argument that for a row, you could train it more in the shortened phase. Maybe you can build that, connection well and then move on to, to like your pull down which is more lengthened but I think I, I think that's still getting more too complicated than it, it needs to be mm -hmm. I, I would I would still lean more towards picking the movement that takes the lat through the fullest range of motion 
as a primary. And so a pull down, if your lats are great, I think you should always be starting with a pull down variation and then moving forward from there. And then what type of pull down variation would, would be best? Well, I would say one that keeps the elbow tucked tight to the body and, and in, because as that elbow flares out, you're gonna start moving up the back of what you're training into the teres major, um, more, more trap involvement to get the movement going. So uh, it would definitely do, yeah, some type of neutral shoulder width pull down, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And the shoulder width part is probably the key part there because once you start getting into that narrow grip handle that's inside shoulder width, you unbeknownst, like you un, without trying to, you flare that elbow again, right? Yeah, you flare it out and you're using a ton of like internal rotation to get it. And a lot of people, you see people as they pull down, they have to like crunch to like finish the movement, which yeah. once you roll your shoulders over like that, it's like, man, you're taking your, your lats way out of it, using all kinds of different things to get that job, to get the job done. Um, so, and then going too wide, well, the issue with that is that you, you shorten your range of motion significantly and you, you just can't get the elbow tucked tight to the, to the body doing it that way. So something about shoulder width or just slightly wider than shoulder width is going to be ideal for, for lat training. And I think using neutral to almost supinated helps just with keeping the elbows tucked in and, and cueing that. Um, now, if you had like really strong biceps, uh, you could pull a lot with the biceps, but I think just keeping those cues of like pull, driving the elbow down the hip, um, almost if, if it is supinated, pulling almost kind of away from you. Yeah. Um, I think that's a cue to take some of the bicep out and you would engage more tricep, but triceps are involved in, in shoulder extension. So I just like, you're like, yeah, my shoulder, I get feel like some triceps when I do pull downs, like, well, cause they do have some involvement there. Um, but I think that might be a cue to help yeah. with, with your pull downs. And I think that kind of leads into that next question of like identifying patterns for, for what they are. Um, so Jay Perch 23 asks like how to identify and set up movements specifically for upper back traps versus lats. And yeah. um, I kind of teach this as a spectrum. So it's like specifically for roads, especially, right? So like the spectrum being from like 90 degrees from your shoulder joint all the way down to that like tucked elbow position, slightly externally rotated. And like the more that that elbow's tucked, externally rotated, and we're moving that shoulder down into depression as we extend, it's gonna be like a lat primary. And then the more that elbow starts to move up the spectrum of degrees and we get a little bit more scapular action, we start to remove lat involvement and start to bring in some of the some of the things that are involved with like that scapular retraction so like rhomboids traps things like that and then torso position can also influence this right so like if we can get that elbow tucked into like a slight forward lean we can probably bias a little bit more depression of that shoulder maintain maintenance of thoracic extension with the higher elbow we can prioritize that scapular retraction a little bit more um, and then just altering that according to like how much of which one you need right so the common one you see is like this 45 degree pronated grip where the elbow path ends up being like 45 degrees like not neither yeah. hot or low and you could probably make a case for that like touching pretty much everything right like because it's going to be 
retraction area off, off the get-go, and then as you pull down into that 45 degree position, it will depress the shoulder. So it'll be like more that like mid upper lap fibers alongside like lower trap-ish type, type of a range. So it's just prioritizing like what portion of that spectrum you want according to what portion of the back you want to train, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember uh, Brian Ray, he always has like, he always had like these great IG posts and explanations. He's a very, very thought out bodybuilder. He would, he simply stated it as like, whatever back movement you do, wherever your elbow finishes, that's, that's the part of the back you're training. It was similar as that. So if your elbow's finishing like low down by your lower back, you're probably training lats or as it moves up, you, you're finishing more like nipple level, you know, or you're hitting more like mid to upper back. And then if you go even higher, well, it's probably just more upper back. And uh, that's like the simple, <laughs> the simple explanation. But it's, it's, it's pretty much right, you know. I mean, wherever your elbow finishes is what you're training. Um, so, so you can prioritize different movements. I think the row is the one that has the most versatility because you can do it all kinds of different ways for what you want to put emphasis into. Sure. Um, you, you know, you can keep your elbows tucked in a narrow grip, a supinated grip and and have you know hit, hit a lot of lower lat um or like you're saying having that kind of like 45 degree you're kind of like just hitting an, it's like an overall back development you're going to hit lats traps rear delts i mean everything's going to be working so like and, and you have to brace with your spinal rectors if you're doing like a, a bent over row not that that's like our, our primary target here but it's gonna they're gonna work so i think as a beginner movement a bent over row be great. Um, people still do them as advanced. There's nothing wrong with that either. It's just what what do you need? Um, so I could I could see someone programming it first, just as someone that's like, hey, I just need overall back. And it's like, okay, well, let's do something that just hits overall back. Um, if you get a, a, what you need out of that, um, is is the thing. Now, setting up a row, a bent over row, or any row for that matter. We see lots of like different torso angles and it's, it's really, it, it, it comes down to what you're trying to train with the row. It's not, cause I see some, some people, they're like completely parallel to the ground, almost doing like a, uh, it can almost be like a, like a dead stop row or something like that. Um, a part of, uh, oh gosh, what was it? A, uh, Finley? Pinlay row. I was going to say parlay row. That's like where pirates like parlay. <laughs> um, yeah. Or like 45 degrees, like a, like a Yates row, you know? Um, which, uh, you know, I've seen arguments for like, well, if you're, if you're staying at 45 degrees, the lat's not going through a full range of motion. So it's not going to be a great lat builder. But when you're at 44 degrees, you can lift a lot of weight, <laughs> uh, and, and then it's it's probably a little little bit more mechanical advantage to get the lat short, you know, just depending on positioning. Um, you know, I think the, the the argument has to still be like, what what do you want out of that movement for what you're trying to do? I, I think there's some happy medium ground there. Going too upright, it, you're not gonna. It's not gonna be a great lat movement. It's gonna be a movement of of, of just, I can lift a lot of weight like this. And that's not meaning you're getting a lot of great lat contraction. So probably staying bit, bit over enough to not until your row is turning into having to flare your elbows out because your positioning is, is so over the toes. 
I was about um, to say, I, in terms of face pull. Yeah, yeah, because um, what you, your tendency to do with a row is like pull it straight up. Um, and if you're doing that, if you're completely bent over, it, you're going to be more of an upper back movement. It's very hard to have that arch and, and, and row back in, into the, the, the back like that um, for lats. Uh, yeah. you, you can do it, but your, man, your loads are going to be so low. Uh, not that that's an issue, but it just depends what you want out of the movement, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think back training could probably be the most debated training out there. There's just so many moving pieces, right? You have like the pieces that attach on the outside of the scapula and then you have midline and then you have humerus relative all the way to the um, like sacrum, right? And so it's, it's interesting about like setting all of these up. But I think when it comes to a bent over row, like push come shove, like slightly more than 45 degrees of torso tilt with that 45 degree elbow path is probably your biggest bang for your buck. I think so too. I was just thinking that I was like, man, to be completely parallel with the ground and trying to like to hit low, like lower lat. I was like, I think we have a better movement to do lower lat. We just talked about it. It was doing a pull down. So let's not try to turn this into like a, a pull down. Let's just make it for what it's best at. And that's going to be hitting like some lat, some Terry's major, some trap, um, and, and have that, that arm path kind of be flared out a little bit, but not completely flared out at 90 degrees. Um, I think you're, I think you're definitely right about that. Yeah. And I think as like a last piece to this, for these, those guys that are like the bigger bodybuilders on here, a lot of times learning to train a lat requires lateral training. I know we had a question about unilateral versus bilateral. I just didn't write it down. Oh, right. Um, right. But using unilateral movement to train the capacity to train a lat will carry over into your bilateral movement patterns because you'll learn that like contraction pattern a lot better. Um, and just being wider individuals, like having something unilateral, you can align everything so much better. Like, especially like on a pull down, like I see people, I have people who train in gyms that aren't like the best equipped gyms in the world. And it's like the only close grip handle they have is the little like two inch, three inch wide close grip neutral grip, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah that's like, like not lat. And so, getting them with a D handle scoot over on the bench on the pull down and align that like shoulder to hands to elbow, just like pay so many more dividends. And it's like, they can actually train the lat according to that shoulder depression in that slightly arched position. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on that. I, I feel like the, there's getting some misapplication within those. Cause I see people do them like, would you have other equipment that would be better to do it? Cause it almost, it almost gets like, the pinky up dumbbell twist and I'm here and I'm like, have this tiny weight. I'm like, you know, you barely get a contraction. It's like, I, I, I think that's, it has its place, but it shouldn't be like your primary ways to build muscle. Um, you know, it's like, well, John, I, I, I could see this question coming up. Like, well, I can't, I just can't feel and activate my lats. Um, when I do a pull down, I need this like little pinky turned up and twisted on a bench and I'm, I'm squeezing my lat like this. It's like, well, that's fine. Why don't you do that as like an activation movement? Something that doesn't like overly fatigue you then go do your pull down. And like, it's as sim simple as that. Then, then at the end, you could go back to your pinky up twist and have that be more of your higher rep work, um, <coughs> metabolic stress or whatever you want to call it. But, 
Um, it, yeah, but I completely agree. Like if, if you don't have the equipment set up to get in the right position to use that muscle group, well, you need to figure out a way to do it, right? Um, and, and sometimes the, the unilateral using single arm is a lot better because I've had uh, even, even doing a barbell row, my like wrists and forearm positions, like I just don't want to get in the right angle. A lot of times I'll do dumbbells because I'll do like a dumbbell bent over row. Um, but even then, like sometimes single arm, I can really focus on just what is that one arm doing versus having to coordinate both sides. So there, I think there, that's when you get a lot of like, Hey, still keep this simple. Like what's your priority? Put that first. The movement that you pick, is it doing what you want for that priority? So it's like, Hey, my, my, I need overall back. Well, and you picked a bent over row, but I do this bent over row and my joints hurt. And I can't get in the right positions. Like, okay, well you still want that movement pattern. How can we make it better? It's like, Oh, well maybe a dumbbell so you can move a little bit more freely through space. It's like, aha, there, that's, that's your movement that you should be, you should be going with now. I think the, the overall thing here is like, don't be attached to the pattern. Be attached to what's actually happening with, shoulder girdle upper arm and and what that looks like within whatever pattern you're doing man that that has been such my like downfall sometimes because <laughs> i i'll get into this like old school just like the my 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 vision of what bodybuilding is it was like this yeah early 90s like we slang heavy iron and barbells and it's like, I just want to do some like barbell work. But then I do, it's like, man, this isn't the best movement for me. Like I don't feel my back. Um, and that's been my trouble area has been back and I have to get like more pinky dumbbell up with it because I just can't activate it. I have to slow it down, stupid slow. So I can actually use the muscle that I want. And then it's like, Oh shit. Like my back's pumped and um, I'm actually getting, I have some type of like, tension like connection there and it's like oh i'm not doing these fancy like these old 90s like look badass movements it's just not doesn't not visually it's cool right um but I, I, it's 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 a battle because you just want to go there with it right <laughs> um well, i want a heavy deadlift dude it's like is that a good idea probably, probably. not <laughs> <laughs> i just want to pull oh. 700 it's like is that going to be good for your longevity and bodybuilding and building what you need? Like, no, <laughs> okay. Don't do it. You're just squatting. I just, I, I have like had this desire to like, just put a fucking bar on my back for the last like six months. <laughs> and uh, It's driving me fucking nuts. Cause you know, I'm good friends with Nick. Right. And so like, I see Nick over here squatting like seven and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put a bar on my back. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do the same thing, man. We all do to an extent. Yeah, just like prod your manhood. You're like, I gotta fucking go lift like a man. It's like, <laughs> uh, no, I have to lift like a bodybuilder and build what I need. But I will say, like, having getting out of that, like, uh, I've had far less injuries and um, connective tissue wise has been so much better over these past years. And even as I get older, um, in my 20s, I was you're almost like, oh, you think you're indestructible. Like, fucking damn. Now I look back, it's like, I think I was pretty close to indestructible. It's like, now I'm just like, dude, I'm hanging on by a thread. Like, I do something that's different. It's like, like pop some fibers, you know? Uh, so it's like, I have to train so careful now. It's like, but man, if I did that younger, I would have gotten so much more out of my training. 
It's like you step off a curb wrong and you just pop some quad fibers, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 stupid. Um, but I think the uh, the last thing I think to hit on here because we kind of hit like overall back with rows and um, would be getting into just traps specifically. I know we touched them on rack pulls, but I think we can touch on on uh, trap work. Yeah. So I think first you got to look at where it is midline is body midline of the back is where it attaches and we have it coming all the way from the top of the scapula down into between the scapula so it's going to have depending on the portion of the trap you're trying to train multiple actions on the, the scapula itself but i think the the thing to think here is is scapular motion is probably the biggest thing when it comes to trap training and then the portion of the trap you want to train move the scapula in that direction so like elevation if you want primary upper maybe elevation and retraction if you want some of that like mid upper type trap density and then retraction primary with some thoracic maintenance of thoracic extension if you want that lower because the traps are also going to have a role in maintaining the thoracic spine and neutrality or slight extension so we can set up positions like on an overhand cable row where you have to hold that position alongside the retraction in order to do that yeah, I think for a lot of people, like if you don't have back, if back's not your weakness, arguably you would probably never need direct trap work. I mean, there, there's a potential for that. Like you'll get enough trap stimulus for some guys just when they do on their, on their leg day, when they do stiff legs and RDLs, like that's enough trap stimulus for them. But then also like rowing, you'll have all that the scapula movement, doing pull downs, you'll have scapula depression and they'll have plenty of stimulus for trap development just through that alone. So do you need isolation work for traps? Well, that depends on if you need it, right? That goes back to like, what do you need? And if you need traps, then you probably will need some direct trap work. And it's going to be through moving the scapulas without moving your arms. Because when you're moving your arms, like say in a row, usually you're Arms are the failing part, and I don't mean your biceps and shit. I mean, like, you're not able to bring the bar up anymore because your lats are failing um, before your traps are failing because you could hang there with the bar and keep moving your traps around. So that's how I do it. Um, probably seeing, like, my, like, the Kelso shrugs. So I'll do, like, a, a row braced um, on, a, on an incline bench, and then once I fail doing my row, I'll go straight into scapular retractions until the traps fail. Yeah. Um, and so you quickly realize like, oh man, my traps aren't the primary mover in this row because I can keep going with them. Yeah. And that's where you need to take it to. And that's been like some of the best stimulus that I get for my traps is um, finishing rows, continuing to do uh, scapula movement. And you could even do this on your pull down if you want to. Um, scapula depressions um, and uh, you, you could, and then you might need some like shrug work at the very end of a session. Um, now, so <laughs> that goes back to what I think about, well, what if, what if, what about priority? <laughs> you know, should you put your shrugs first? It's like, well, I don't know about putting an isolation movement first. I, I, if it's that big of a weakness, arguably you could, right? Um, that's, that's a tough one for me to, to argue. Uh, it's like putting a, a pullover first before you go do pull downs. Yeah, there might be some utility in a lot of You know, you look at some of the research on whether it matters in this exercise order, 
it doesn't seem like it really matters. It, it, what matters is you're able to, to, to get enough stimulus to the target muscle you want. So yeah, you could go do your shrugs and then go do some upper back rows. I, 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 if your traps suck that bad, I think you could do it that way. I would still do it like do an upper back row first and have it go into some shrug or do an upper back row and then do your shrugs right after, then go into your lat training. And, and I would maybe program it that way. That way you're still a ton of priority, but also like it's likely you still want enough overall back development. So your, your trap work isn't drastically taking away from your back movement and you want traps to be able to, to help, you know, stabilize and, uh, and use them in your rows. So I, I, that's my, that was like my first thing is like, I don't have, is this going to take away that much from the rest of my movements doing like shrugs first? Um, it won't be that fatiguing. That's the thing. It would be more about stability and bracing. I, I, I would think of, of, of the scapula, controlling the scapula for my other rows and pull down movements. Um, yeah. I think anything, it, it just, it attaches to so much on that midline. It's like, I'd rather see someone get the most out of their major compound and just have that major compound be like some kind of overhand based chest supported row. Like I'm using that overhand prime extreme row right now. Yeah, arcs into that upper back pattern so I can actually get retraction in some scapular elevation Yeah, with that row and it's like perfect and then I can go like a movement or two later I can go do something for trap like it's it's just seems better when it comes to getting the most out of everything across the session I, yeah, I used to use that hammer strength uh, low row that like kind of arcs up. I, I get to eventually like, I hate this thing. It, it's not, it's not, it doesn't move how you like you mechanically want to move. So I scratch it, but it's the same kind of idea or one of my, one of my sessions, I'll start with that incline dumbbell row where I could do the same thing with dumbbells and kind of like they're, they come back at 45 degrees, they kind of arch up. So your scapula retracts and then I can do my like Kelso shrugs so that's that day. Then I'll move into all my other row movements. So my first like compound row will be my, my more upper back focus type row. Then I can like move down the back um, from there. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very accurate. I think, and plus like you can even add some trap work on other days too. Like it's not yeah. like traps recover so fucking fast and they can, they can handle a ton. So I think you could like, you could have your back day. And then like your day when you train legs into your hip hinge, like traps get some work. We'll do some shrugs on that day too. You know, that way they, you need enough volume, I think, like on the session. Yeah. I think that's hundred percent accurate. Um, I think that kind of covers back training too, huh? Anything no, I think, I think it does. Yeah. I don't, I think, I think just to like not get people confused. Cause we talked a lot about like, you know, different actions of different, uh like the scapula and the humerus and stuff like just train across the spectrum of everything from like 90 degrees from your shoulder all the way to that supinated tucked elbow in some capacity and just depending on what you need more on your back prioritize that portion of the spectrum and you'd be surprised how fast like that body part will develop if 
you use things like video feedback and stuff like that to make sure that everything's moving the way it should. Like, like you said, on the pull downs, you're not getting that crunch down, pull down type movement and that kind of stuff. Right. To oh man, that's a great point. Like you video your lifts and watch them, see how you actually move. Cause I have so many people like, man, I never thought I lifted like that <laughs> until they saw their video doing it. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, you have to actually like see how you do it. It's hard, hard to see like sighting when you're training back, you don't want to be looking sideways at the mirror while, while, while you're doing your, your even about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think in another thing, like just a point of like doing a variety of movements is if you do a movement that repeats another movement, you probably don't need to do that one. Um, so if you, like we've talked about like where your elbows finish, if you go to another movement, that's, your elbow's finishing the exact same place, just you don't need to do that movement. You already did it. So if you're doing a bent over row and then going to do a, like a single arm dumbbell row, it's kind of the same thing that you just did. Uh, yeah, you're switching around, um, um, you know, the equipment, but it, it's essentially training the same thing. It's like, well, I need more sets. We'll do fucking more sets on your bent over row. You know, just save your time and efficiency. Um, or if you need more still, then throw it on another day. But I think that will wrap up our back training. <laughs> Again, we always appreciate all the questions and, and listeners and, and thank you guys for tuning into us and, and listening. Um, you know, shoot us questions on, on Instagram to uh, look, look at how your, your shirt on. So at, at no switch fitness for, for Luke and at John Jew at three, you can shoot us some questions and we can always address them on here. Like, share, subscribe on the podcast, guys. And that is J3U Podcast. Over and out.